Hey guys, welcome to Today's the Day with Zach Anderson. This episode is brought to you by Alchemy Sales Coaching. I hope you guys enjoy. What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome back to Today's the Day with Zach Anderson. I'm excited for this episode for a different reason than than most, which I'm going to dive into a little bit. But before we get into it at all, I want to say thank you very much, Justin. Thank you so much for coming out here. I appreciate you. I know it was a little bit of a journey, which we can talk about a little bit. So yeah, appreciate thank you, you having me, man. Appreciate reaching out. Um, so we have, we have Justin Prince on today. For those of you guys that don't know who Justin Prince is, just a really quick bio, but we're going to get kind of into it, into the weeds and figure out exactly who we're talking to. But where you sit right now... Um, entrepreneur. Um, you're an international speaker. You're actually in the area at an event speaking. So killing two birds with one stone, which is awesome. You started selling out of a mall kiosk, which we're going to go. This is what I'm excited to go and talk about. You had no college education. You since have built four different multi-million dollar businesses that have generated over $2 billion in revenue to over 4 million customers, um, four kids and absolutely crushing, dominating advisor for some big companies out here where I'm from. So super excited to dive into it, man. Thank you again for being here. I appreciate you big time. Yeah, brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys reaching out. Love what you're up to and uh, excited to, you know, be on and see if we can Thank you. Time together, Thank man. you. Yeah. We're gonna have a blast, man. So for, first and foremost, kind of the way that we do things like rewinding, like you sitting here, you're obviously, you're an extremely impressive human to say the least. I think we're going to go and get absolute nuggets of, of success, but I think just as important as all of that and kind of what, what people look at and kind of categorize on a different level than them. Right. I think it's fair to say yeah. a lot of times when people are in, in similar positions to you, they get looked at as like a different a different breed or that they're just built different. Right. And kind of what I've come to find that was one of the most impactful, powerful things I ever learned being surrounded by these people is they're really just, they just do things a little bit differently. They're not necessarily a totally different breed, but they do things. They're extra disciplined. Like, and a lot of that stuff comes from growing up. So if we were to throw it way back and rewind, and, and I was getting to know you a little bit before we started recording, but just rewind, rewind, um, very beginning of you, right? What was life growing up? Where are you from? Yeah. What was your family dynamic? C- yeah. Catch us up to speed on that really quick. Yeah. So I'm, I'm from Sandy, Utah, just up the wave here, yep. you know, kind of a middle-class, middle-class America family. My dad was married, had two uh, kids. So w- when I was born, my brother was four, my sister was five. Mm. And then I was my mom's oldest. They had four kids together. And then when I was 12, they ended up getting a divorce. And so I was the oldest at home with my mom. And so you kind of absorbed the role of man in the house. Yeah, so I come sure. from a, my parents divorced, got remarried and divorced again. So yeah. you, you kind of absorbed man for of the sure. house, I assume. Yeah. Cool. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No, it, it was a, it, that's exactly what it was. You know, you're the, you're the oldest at home. You're the, you're the man at home. And so I felt like a lot of the pr- protective vibes of your mom and the yeah. whole thing, you know? Yeah. And my mom's an amazing, an amazing woman. And, and those were some lean years. We, we, we moved 13 times in the seven years from basically from 12 to 12 to 19. So we were just kind of bouncing around between the two, the two homes. And, you know, I was, I was into sports. I was always kind of an active kid. I was into sports. Uh, my basketball trajectory went from, I was like Shaq, then Charles Barkley, then Muggsy Bogues all in the same career. <laughs> so like, I was just a beast when I was like 12 and then everyone started growing and I turned into Charles Barkley and I was still kind of a beast. And then I turned into Muggsy Bogues like, oh crap, I went the wrong direction in my athletic career, but played uh, basketball, football, uh, track. And then I used to box, you know, cool. and so a little bit of a kind of competitive fighting. And so just always competitive and athletic. I think there's a lot of things that I think help shape, you know, as you like look back, like help shape kind of your mindset and yeah. so on. But like, I think one of them for me, I was probably eight years old 
And I said something to my dad. I don't remember what it was that I said. It was a, I thought it was kind of just uh, uh, innocuous. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but he, he like grits his teeth. He, he goes, he goes, you think the world owes you something? I'm like, uh, no, you know, like, what's up? <laughs> you're eight years old. Yeah, like, dude, chill out. You know? And he goes, he goes, you think your last name is Prince? The world owes you something? He goes, no one owes you anything. He's like, if you're going to make something of your life, you got to go out there and you got to make it happen. He's like, no one owes you anything. And I think like ridding yourself of all entitlement. Yeah. And I teach people now, like it's, it's like a pulley system. It's like, as you rid yourself of all entitlement, you, at the same time as you rid, you raise, Yep. you raise your personal responsibility, your personal accountability for your life. And that you're, you just don't play the victim card of all the challenges you've been through. Cause yeah. you know how life is life's life's tough. There's a great play, uh, Les Miserables. So Victor Hugo wrote the book, Les Miserables and Les Miserables in French means the miserables. And the reason that, you know, a hundred plus years later, everyone still reveres the play is because people can all relate to this, the misery or the struggle of life. Life's yeah. hard. Yeah. And it's really, really, really hard for a lot of people, you know? And so you just want to rise above that stuff yeah, and not let that stuff be the stuff that defines you. You, you look at like how you overcame all the struggles yeah, and the person you chose to become, you know? And so as I, as I had that experience kind of growing up, what is your dad's background? I'm sorry to cut you off, but uh, like, from, like professionally, just in general, I mean, you're pretty intense to tell, like go at an eight year old like that, but the underlying message is like, Hey, you control your yeah, destiny. Like there's sure. nothing that's going to happen for you. It's all like, you get to control it. Yeah. Like that's, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm just, I'm curious. Yeah. He, he came, his professional background has been in real estate. So mm-hmm. uh, when I was super young, he was selling homes and then ultimately became a builder and a, and then primarily a land developer cool. you know, over the last number of years. And that blood boiled pretty hot in kind of the Prince line. You like yeah. his temper was, was too much. And then my grandpa's was probably more than his and my great grandpa's and so on. So, I've tried How's to your learn, temper. Yeah. I've tried to learn how to like keep the fire, but like learn how to control it. You cool. Know? Yeah. And I, I remember saying I never wanted my kids or, or my wife to ever be scared of me. Yeah. You know, like there was times I was just like, uh, this is too intense. You know, it was just, <laughs> the fire was too, too burned too hot. Yeah. So I've tried to learn how to like take that, that intensity and that fire and stuff and, and just control it and like put like channel it in a way more like healthy way, you know, which is probably a big reason why you've done what you've done. Yeah. I, I think so. Cause I, I am driven and yeah. I'm competitive, you know, yeah. and I like to win. And I, 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 in fact, you want, it's interesting. So there's a scene from the original top gun. This is like before your time, dude, but this is like OG top gun. They're in flight school and they, the instructor asked Maverick, there's all these like just like super competitive type a yep. pilots, right? yeah. fighter pilots. And the instructor says, uh, you guys are all probably wondering who the best is because they're all like sizing each other up. Mm. And it's so interesting. I can relate to that, that feeling of like, not necessarily sizing people up, but like if you get into an industry or when I get into anything, I, subcon- like even just subconsciously, I'm trying to figure out how do you win? Exactly. Like what are the rules? Who's the best? Who do you model? How do you win? Which is such a, that's a very common, like I think about it all the time. That's such a common trait. And anyone listening, they've heard the Casey Ball episode. Like one thing Casey Ball early, early on, either a book he had me read or him telling me was like, anytime you walk into a room, you should like try and figure out how to become the number one in the room. Yeah. Like, and if you're not there, that's what you should work towards. And then once you become number one in that room, find a new room. That's right. Right. So that's, that's, but that's, 
his mindset, this is my take. This is my mm. guess. Mm. I could be wrong. Maybe everyone on the planet thinks that way. I think that's a different way to look at life. I think that's for I, sure. I think the way he thinks about it is different. Yeah, absolutely. And like almost subconsciously, I would think that like, what's the rules? How do you win? What does winning look like? Who's the best? How do you model them? And I've tried to kind of be the best at whatever things I tried to do, whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Whatever Why I tried not? To put my, my mind to, you know? Why not? Okay. So then you, you get there growing up through high school and everything like that directly after high school. So you've kind of, you grew up kind of early then having to be like the man of the house grows you up, whether you want it to or not. Right. In certain ways. Yeah, for sure. Right, I would argue. Um, and that was from seeing my older brother go through the same kind of thing. Like yeah. he absorbed that and he, he handled it in certain ways. And then obviously everyone down the line in a split family handles things. So you had to grow up pretty early. So then what, what was high school you like? What was that yeah, part so of your life like? I, I was kind of joking about the, well, kind of joking because it's kind of true too, but the Muggsy Bogues, you know, Jack <laughs> and Muggsy Bogues analogy. But like my ninth grade year, uh, I went and played for the high school team. I wasn't, I, so I went to, I ended up going to Compton High School, lived in Sandy. So I would, I would like pack all this lunch my mom would help me pack this big lunch and I'd go to school until like the, whatever the end of the day period was. Mm-hmm. And I'd go get on a bus and drive the bus all the way to, to, to Conwood high school. Yeah. And I'd practice for, with the, both the sophomore and JV team for the next, whatever that was four hours or five hours. Yeah. And then, and then that night come home. And so, you know, you're just this, like, you know, you're a ninth grader. You're like, you're the reason you have to pack the lunch is because these were long days. Like you're at school early in the morning and then you're like, to like all the way through school and then it's like a 10 hour day and then two, two full practices, yeah. you know? Yeah. So sports, sports, I think was a, was a big kind of thing. So I went through high school and, uh, you know, it's so interesting. I have, I have, I have probably one regret. <laughs> I have, like, I don't have a ton of regrets. Like life just kind of has happened. Now it happened. Yeah. My ninth grade or my uh, senior year, pardon me. I, I like, I was, I was really good at basketball when I was young. And then I started like filling out more. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I was born to play football versus basketball. Like I'm more of like a football build than a basketball build. Yeah. So went and played football my uh, junior year and then my senior year played football and then went and made the team again for basketball. Mm-hmm. And then the coach pulls me and another guy in and he goes, Hey, listen, you guys are on the team. You made it. He goes, but you're probably not going to get a ton of playing time because the two guards and the two guards were my two best friends. It was yeah. Josh, Justin and Jake. We were like the three J's. And they're like, those two were, you know, they're the two, and they were, they were, they were fantastic. The one guy, uh, Josh went and played college ball. Jake was a fantastic high school athlete. So they were better. Like, yeah. like I knew it, we, it wasn't, there wasn't a guess, Yeah. but my ego couldn't handle being like, I used to be as good as they were or yeah. at least close to as good as they were. Yeah. And then they just kept accelerating and I wasn't as good anymore. I would have been like a good role player. Mm. So anyway, I ended up quitting the team. I went, I went and did, um, that's, I went and boxed to, during that same season. I look back now and uh, one of them got injured. So I would have had a ton of playing time, which th- th- that's a secondary moral for me. The real moral of the story was I let my ego get out of. Yeah. You let your ego make the decision. And I should have been a good teammate. I should have played a good role. Yeah. Cause you can, you can like, there's a lot of people that like are trying to be like the entrepreneur. You can be an entrepreneur. You can like support a really strong entrepreneur, be part of a team and still have an incredible career. Steve Ballmer, who owns the Clippers didn't start Microsoft. Uh, that's such an uncommon bit of advice, but it's so not everybody can be the guy. And you, right. You don't, so everyone say doesn't that have to be, no, the, they like don't have the to founder be. entrepreneur. Really the only difference between like an entrepreneur and an, an entrepreneur really is they both care about the business the same. They think about it all the time, the same, they grind on it the same. They do. The one was there earlier and like helped to like found it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. The only difference. Like Balmer was one of the top, I think 
I think first 30 or so employees and Balmer's he, so he didn't start it, but he's made it an absolute fortune as an entrepreneur. You know? Yeah. So I just think playing a, a role, That's you can cool. be the best in your role. That's cool. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. even like for your, your podcast, like let's say a lot of them are a little bit younger or even, even they're wanting to like really crush in their life. They haven't crushed it yet. Yeah. The best advice is to bloom where you're planted. Yep. It's so like right now, if, if I'm working with you right now, be, when I say be the best, may, I may not be the best in the country or yeah. the best in the company, but I could be the, just the best I could be, you yep. know, at sales, learning the sales game, become the very, very best. If you bloom where you're planted, what you'll do is you'll start to string wins together. Mm-hmm. If you start stringing wins together, more, more kind of opportunities happen. It compounds. It, it compounds. It's like, there's a momentum that comes from stringing wins together. And it's that old saying of like, and it's better to uh, be prepared and not have the opportunity than have the opportunity to not be prepared. Yeah. The way you get prepared is just start winning, you know, in your own sphere, like in your own thing. Like if you're bagging groceries, bag them like the best that you know how, and the best that anyone can like tr- get in that, in that, in that world. Yeah. That will give you more opportunities as you go. Well, dude, you just, you nailed it in a totally different, I, I love talk. So I, for, for background, for everybody watching, like, I don't know you, right. I know, I know of you, I've seen you, like I'm aware of what you've done, but I don't know you on a personal level. And the way you look at things is so in line with how I've been taught to look at things, but explain differently. Like you just said, bloom where you're planted. Mm-hmm. Right. And the opposite of that, which is an extremely common theme from where I'm from, which is what costs people their success is everybody has this mindset that the grass is greener somewhere else. And that's the opposite of blooming where you're planted, Mm -hmm. right? That's finding the next shiny object that just leads you down a trail of years of wasting time to the point that you can't string together those wins you're talking about and have a compound effect of it. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far. It was brought to you by Alchemy Sales Coaching. Now, I typically don't run ads, um, but I feel very strongly about Alchemy Sales Coaching. I started doing one-on-one coaching with Doug back in 2019. And since then, I have gone and not only blown up in my career and my earnings, Um, but it's really helped me through just the ups and downs of life. Now, the reason I feel so strongly about Alchemy is because it's a group of individuals not only focusing on furthering their sales career, but they're diving deep into inner work um, and becoming the best version of yourself so you can show up and be the best version of yourself. Um, Not only that, if you have any interest in doing any one-on-one coaching with me, I exclusively do all of my one-on-one coaching through Alchemy. Um, so for full access to me, go and check out Alchemy. I think you'll absolutely love it. It's alchemysalescoaching.com. We will also go and post, um, the links in our bio and on stories, et cetera. So go check it out. Yeah. I mean, listen, like I don't, so Casey, I don't know Casey. I know who Casey is. My guess is he probably knows who I am, but we don't know each other personally. Yeah. Casey's a great example of an entrepreneur. You know, it wasn't, he didn't found it, but he like cr- helped to create it. Mm-hmm. It's made a, a great living doing that uh, in the, in the, in the security world. Yep. But he's another great example of blooming, blooming where you're planted, blooming yeah. where you're planted, blooming where you're planted. Exactly. And then those winds start stringing winds together. Exactly. And all the other things you work on. So you want to be, you want to maximize your potential with where you're at. That's mm-hmm. the best way to find better opportunities is become indispensable, like irreplaceable in your current, in your current job. Like if you're working for a company, you're so good. They couldn't get rid of you. Exactly. And that's the way that you find better opportunities. Exactly. Because then you're sought after. Yeah. Right. Rather than you seeking after other opportunities. That's, I love that. It's a really cool way to look at it. And it's super new. So through high school, your one regret is letting your ego go and yeah, yeah, letting your ego go and help you make a decision. I that, should have been a great teammate. I should have been, um, I literally, this is so stupid, but I had, I had like nightmares. I thought about it for years. Yeah. It's the stupidest thing. I was like, (laughs) 
I should have been a great teammate. I should have added value to the team and I should have kept that commitment. I made the team. I should have followed through. Like I like broke some of those like core values, those core identity values that you would have. But on that, that was not awesome on that from outsider's perspective. And obviously I wasn't there and I didn't, I didn't have these nightmares about it, but like you made that decision for high school basketball team. And because of that, it's so deeply rooted in you. Now you're probably so much more aware of your ego when you're making decisions that could have been such a catastrophic decision down the road in your professional career that costs you way more than just that, that lost sleep. So yeah, maybe, maybe it actually, you know, looking for the silver lining in it, yeah, maybe it went and like happened for you in a way. Yeah. There's a formula I try and live by. It's what I call E plus R equals O. So it's just a simple math equation, right? It's event plus response equals outcome. So the first thing you learn is that the event doesn't equal the outcome. Mm-hmm. So we're not victims to our, the events of our life. We're victors to the, our response. It's the E plus the R that equals the O. Mm-hmm. And then the second kind of lesson I think you can learn is the R is not react. The R is respond. It's to how do you choose to respond in your life versus react to your life? Yeah. And then the last one is that your R creates an E for others. Mm-hmm. So your response creates an event for other people. So the way that you choose to show up and respond to things will create events for other people, hopefully a positive, possibly a negative. Yeah. And so, you know, I look at that now, like those are the events, you know, I get to choose my response now. Yeah. It creates the outcome moving forward. But uh, just, just thinking back on that, I couldn't accept the role at that point was, was what I, I look back and I'm like, man, what was my problem? Yeah, no, that, that's so cool. That formula is gold. There's one part of that I, I want you to dive in on because I just recently went and like ex- explicitly learned how to, differentiate, respond and react. Right. And a lot of people I think confuse that. And I, for a long time, I, I confused reacting with responding. Mm. What's the difference between reacting and responding? Cause you touched on that a little bit, but what, what would you say? So let me say this just from a pure, like a, like a, a biological perspective. Uh, when, when something hits you, like an event hits you, something happens, like something like ticks you off or I don't know, really frustrates you or makes you want to cry or whatever, like the event hits you have an electrical current that literally flows all the way up your spine. It goes to all the cells of your body. It goes into the back of your brain and then it finally makes it way to the frontal lobe of your brain. Yeah. So, so that's why you'll literally, I don't know if you've ever had this happen where like you, you like the way you just, you just react. And then later you're like, my bad guys, like, sorry mm. about that. I should, you know, I wasn't I, you know, like, you're apologizing later. Cause you're like, that was not, what was I doing? Like, why was I acting like that? Yep. That's the reaction, just that instant reaction. If you'll like press pause, take a deep breath, for example, kind of gather your thoughts. It gives that electrical current time to go all the way through like the cells of your body to the back of your brain, all the way to the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe is like your logical part of your brain. Yep. You can like think of like, how do I want to choose to show up? Yeah. Like, how do I want to choose to react, to respond to this? Yeah. And so a response is something that you're consciously choosing versus the reaction is just like, boom, it happens. And like, you just, you literally just instantly react versus like, I'm going to, I'm going to choose my response. I'm going to show up with like a lot of intention. Yep. That's see, I love that. And I learned that's, that was explained perfectly and even better than I, I probably could have hoped to, but that's exactly like learning that when, if you can handle, handle yourself in a manner where you can show up and choose how you want to respond to things that's when you go and kind of start shaping, shaping your life exactly you want. So I, I, that was a really cool principle I learned super recently. So I'm glad you touched on that. So then out of high school, right? This is where your story to me gets super like interesting and like inspiring, honestly, like truth, truthfully, very inspiring. So straight out of high school, then what, then where did you go? Did you get into college? Were you, what what was your situation? So right after high school, I went on a two-year mission, right? And, uh, went and lived in Mississippi, Louisiana and had an amazing experience in the South. I love the Southern states. Where at? Um, I lived in a place called Petal, Mississippi, 
And okay. so across the bridge from Hattiesburg, I lived down in a place called South Jackson, South Jackson. So Jack, that's like my, my spot. The reason you know, I asked is Louisiana. Know, yeah. yeah. So Louisiana and, and Mississippi were two of my first years doing this job. Northern Mississippi got down into Jackson. Yeah. Right. I worked all over Horn Lake up in Memphis, Tennessee, and then yeah. Louisiana as well. Yeah. I, I like, that's my, that's I was my more, place, I was man. more Northern Louisiana. Yep. And love the South. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the Mississippi is, is like, the lowest, unfortunately, in all the good categories and the highest and all the bad, like they're like the lowest in education, like the highest in poverty, for example. It's like, it's yeah, like not an awesome, you know, they, there's some the best people in the world, though, Oh, for sure. Like the best people in the Love world, the Southern people. Exactly. Like Southern hospitality is a real thing. It's so real. That's um, awesome. Sorry. That was a total side note. No, so, and that was that was a great, great, great experience, you know, uh, building your your work ethic muscle, building your love and compassion for people muscle. So all that stuff is great. Yeah. So got home. My brother says to me, I'm driving home from the airport. When I was gone, my dad got remarried. My mom got married, remarried. My older brother got married. So literally I'm like, are you my sister or my cousin? Like to everybody, I'm like, who's, who's who, you know? <laughs> and, um, we went to, uh, we're driving home. My brother says, he goes, he goes, you want a job? I've been home like nine minutes. I'm like, sure. And it was these, <laughs> these little like animated Bible videos we watched when we were little kids. Right. And he goes, he goes, you know, my friend's been selling these. Do you want to sell them? I'm like, Sounds good. The next, this is late at night. We got home like at nine or 10 o'clock at night and driving home the next morning. I'm at, a, at like a, like an interview, you know? Yeah. And the next morning I'm at a mall kiosk selling these, these Bible videos. You know, I was just like, I was so enthusiastic and so like positive people were just stopping. That's the like mall. the perfect segue for a missionary to get back into normal oh, totally. life. Cause you're still selling church videos. Totally, totally. You know, that, that phase for like at least three weeks where they're just so you're like kind of nerdy weird. Kind of yeah. Like you're trying to, well, you're just reintegrating is yeah, all it is. You're just, your, your pace of life just changed. Your course. like everything about life just changed. That's the perfect segue. I've course. never heard of someone doing that. I was like, that's incredible. Trying to like, you know, share your testimony. <laughs> they're, they're like, bro, calm down. dude. <laughs> you're deep him the uh, first lesson. Yeah. That's so that, amazing. Was, that was a good, it got me in. I learned how to sell, um, sales for me. Yeah, so I'm going to speak today for about five or 600 sales, sales, yep. uh, uh, summer sales kids. Right. Yep. Call them kids, man. I guess I'm getting old enough to call them kids, but the, it, to me, it's the number one skill to learn. Cause someone's like, well, I don't want to, want to do summer sales forever. That's fine. I, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an attorney. I want to be a chiropractor. I want to be a land developer, you know, I want to be a real estate agent. I want to be a mortgage broker. Yeah. Cool. The number one skill you should learn is freaking learn how to sell. Yeah. Learn how to communicate, learn inter uh, interpersonal skills, learn how to ask questions, learn how to listen, learn how to engage with people, learn how to have empathetic listening. Like number one skill you, you should learn is learn how to sell. Yep. And regardless of what you want to go do, you mm -hmm. say, I just want to be a stay at home mom, stay at home dad, learn how to work with people. Everything's you know? a sale. Everything's so, a sale that was a huge, huge, huge skill set development yeah. for me. Like if I would have gone and gotten like a dollar per hour job at, at, uh, you know, subway. Yeah. That's, that's great. But I wouldn't have learned that, like that, like foundation, that, that foundational skill set yep. of like learning how to actually work with people, you know? Totally. So I did that. And how uh, long did you do that for? For the next basically four years. But what happened is I did it for about four years. I started my four or five years. I, did, I started my business at age 25 and at first my business wasn't big enough. It wasn't strong enough or cash flowing enough to, to be able to walk away from my job. Yeah. Which is most, most people go and start businesses. That's exactly how they yeah, do it. I was, I was moonlighting the business. You exactly. Know? And so, but I got to a point where I, I finally left the, the sales job and the sales job was like, I was, you know how it is, dude. If you learn how to sell and you get really good at it and you put in the hours, 
you can make dollars selling absolutely like, selling like, anything. Yeah. You, like I was like putting points on the board, you know? Yep. And went into that business. My thought was I'll take, you know, one or two steps back in my income now to like take two or three or five steps forward in the business. Yep. So I'm like, right. As I transitioned from like part-time to full-time, I was grinding the the, the company we were distributing their products for as nutritional products. The company itself went out of business. Mm. It was just like this really awkward time. So like I was below zero financially back on credit cards, back on taxes. I'd kind of burned through the savings I'd built uh, in my yeah. sales career. I was just like, gosh, dang. And so uh, I ended up starting another business. I, I now had two little babies. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our third and during we had, we had uh, six pregnancies and four kids. So we had a stillborn birth and then we had a miscarriage and she would get, she would get just super, 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 super sick with each pregnancy. Yeah. So like from like day one to day delivery. Yeah. She was like throwing up 12 times a day. We would do IV. So it was just, was just a grind. And she had four, four, four C-sections. So it was just that whole thing was just kind of a What grind. a trooper, yeah. dude. The oh, fact that you have four kids is amazing. She's unbelievable. Shout, what's your wife's name? Her name is Missy. Shout out Missy. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. No, she's, she's the real star of the show for, in our family, for sure. Um, she's, she's really unbelievable. She's super strong. It's amazing. Super, uh, just massively loyal. And just, she believed in me more than I believed in me. A lot of those years, you know, she's yeah. like, yo, you got this, you, you know, you got, you make it happen. So we business we're below zero financially we moving into the, uh, the loft above my wife's parents garage. So my two kids are sleeping in the closet. I start another business. I, I go get my old Bible sales job video back and go get another sales job. So I do the, the one sales job all week, do the Bible thing in the weekend. And then any other time I was like trying to build a new business. I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? You know? Oh my and gosh. That was, that was, there's a lot of times I, I wondered if I could, if I was crazy, like if I was chasing a fake dream, like is yeah. this ever going to really yeah. happen? You, and by the way, it's interesting. You kind of started this whole discussion when you're like, sometimes people, Sometimes we look at like their after picture and we're like, well, dude, of course they're successful. Yeah. It's them. Yep. And you, you just don't see the journey. You don't see the grind. Exactly. You know? And I that's think, why this is my favorite stuff. Yeah. Like that, like just meeting you, knowing you, you just flew, flew in from, from down South. I'm yeah. assuming that means you flew in yeah, flew on, private, yeah. yeah, on your own plane. Right. So on and so forth. It's like, okay, cool. But like, this is the stuff where I'm like, bro, like that's what matters. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what matters to the, the masses. Like the masses need to know you just picked up two sales jobs after going and failing, failing your first company. Right. And to probably completely out of your control, like you're probably yeah. doing everything right. hundred percent. Right. It was hundred percent of my control. Exactly. So then still bouncing back. Now you're living in the loft of your, your in-laws. You have two sales jobs. You're trying to start another business. Your days you're working are 10 to 14 hour days, Bro, seven days a week. I kiss my little babies on the cheek when they were asleep in the closet in the morning. Cause I'd leave when it was really, it was dark and it was early Yeah, and I'd kiss them on the cheek when I got home at night and it was dark and it was late. Yeah. And I'm just like, geez, but that's what makes it yeah. right. That, it was, I love it. it. Grind, I yeah. love it. So long story short, um, I built that business, ended up selling that business about 13 years ago. And then, uh, 10 plus years ago, I came into a company it was a really interesting company. It was 25 years old. It was a couple hundred million dollars a year in revenue. It was a global company, but it had eight years of, of double digit compounding per year decline in revenue. So like it was like going the wrong direction yep. like fast. And I share with you the, the, the revenue size and the global to say, it's like changing the engine of a 737 as it's flying. It's like, what do you do with this thing? You know, cause it's just not, what did you get way. brought in as like, it's, what was your, like, I was, I was a consultant. Cool. I was part of a consulting team to help them to transform this company. Got it. Got it. Got it. And in that process, we ended up 
kind of just tearing the floorboards. We, we created a, a, a sharing model called social retail. So we basically gave a free app, free discount codes, a give, get uh, sharing model. We launched a, a, a company called Modare and we, we were basically, it was, it was a company designed for everyday entrepreneurs. So for, to like help create opportunity for people by helping them to, it was almost like one of the original, like affiliate marketing, but on steroids kind of, yeah. kind of, kind of, uh, models. And, um, we grinded on that too, dude. It took us about, so the first about four years we were growing, but it was really incremental growth mm-hmm. and we were transforming all the global markets. And so it was, it was, again, we were growing, but it was incremental. And then we started to really kind of catch a gear. Yeah. But we know we acquired four plus million customers. We've done a couple of billion dollars in revenue and just, it's, it's, it's turned into this, you know, really great business. That's so rad. And helped That's a cool. ton of people you know, to change, change their, you know, economic situation, which has been really cool to watch. And so I have a lot of passion about like the next generation of leaders in our country, you know, and, and around the world. And I, that's one of the reasons like when I, when, when you reached out, like I made two promises when I was struggling, I was driving literally on I-15. I can show you right where it was. It's not too far from where we are now driving on I-15. I have tears rolling down my face. I'm working two part-time jobs. You're Anyone that is in really tough financial situation right now, they'll relate to what I'm about to say. You feel the pressure all the time. It never goes away. Like every time you swallow when you can't pay your bills or you're like have the crush of debt, you like feel the swallow. It's like a gulp. It's tight. It, it sits on your chest. You can mm-hmm. just like every breath. So I'm driving on the freeway. And I, I'm, a, I'm basically like at my wits end. I'm just like, gosh, dang, you know? And I'm having like this conversation with myself, but I really started having this conversation with God. I was like, I had tears rolling down my face like this. I'm like, I was like, listen, if I ever become successful, I'm like, I promise I won't forget what it feels like to struggle. Like I won't forget these emotions. I won't forget where you like, I remember I took my wife on an anniversary date. It was like to lunch. <laughs> that was the date. Like we didn't like go on a weekend. We didn't go on a trip. We didn't like go to dinner. I think like, we went to lunch. I was just like freaked out. I won't, I won't forget what this feels like to struggle. And number one, because sometimes the time and distance, it's been so long you know, you can kind of do what you want to do. You so kind of can't relate to it anymore. relate as much. Right. Yeah. And the second thing, as I said, if I ever become successful, I promise I'll, I'll like help as many other people achieve their dreams and achieve their goals as I possibly can. And so I've tried to like do everything I can to kind of keep that, that promise. And it's so like the, our discussion today, hopefully will help someone like remind them that like their dreams and goals are possible. And when I go speak today here in a little bit, I'm hoping that will remind these kids, like go chase your dreams, go chase your goals. By the way, I believe that so there's, there's, there's a, I believe that all these, this dream stuff, these goals, I think this stuff is planted. Mm-hmm. I don't think this stuff's on accident. Um, so I, I've, I've spoken all over the world. So I'll just give you a quick example. I, I got to a point, if anyone listening has ever been at that point where like, like if people talk about dreams and goals, it, it's a little cliche and it's a little like almost manipulative in a way where yeah. you're like, dude, go for your dreams. You're like, dude, calm down. You know, I like, I'm struggling over here, you know? Yeah. So I spoke in the former Soviet Union, I spoke in Moscow, Omsk, Russia, and Amadi, Kazakhstan. And just quick, super quick history lessons. I think this, this stuff's important. You can learn so much about the future from the past. You can learn so many lessons from history. So in America, if everyone that's listening to this that lives in, in America or lives in a free nation, right? When you breathe in, you know, you smell that. And you want to know what that smells like? That smells like economic opportunity and political freedom. It's the only air that all of us have ever breathed. And it's the only air that our parents have ever breathed. And it's the only air that our grandparents ever breathed. And so we think it's just the air that everyone breathes. Yeah. Not everyone breathes the air of political freedom and economic opportunity. Yeah. Like we breathe this really rare air. 
1917, they had a czar in the, in uh, Russia. The czar is basically like a king, right? Yep. And the Bolsheviks, they had the, they called the Bolshevik revolution. The Bolsheviks wanted to overthrow the, the czar. So they, they finally took them four years from 17 to 1921. They overthrow the czar. And then it was called the Bolshevik revolution. And that's when they instituted the USSR, the, the, the instituted communism. And then they took the Soviet United Soviet States, right? All different countries. And their flag, if you can imagine the Russian flag, like if you think of like Rocky four or something, the Russian flag was a, r- a red flag and it had a sickle. Like if you think of like the, the guys that are like the sickle like this and then a hammer, like a worker. Yep. So the sickle was for the peasants. The hammer was for the workers. So they're basically saying we're for the little guy, right? The peasants yep. and the workers. Yeah. So they said under this, under the communist regime, you'll have bread, sausage, healthcare, and water or bread, bread, sausage, healthcare, and shelter. Pardon me. They'll give you shelter. You don't own anything. No one owns anything. Yeah. The state owns everything. So the commune or the communism, the commune, we all pull from the commune, the common good of everyone. You get bread, sausage, healthcare, and you get shelter. Okay. I guess maybe that sounds like a good idea. The problem with that is that you couldn't, they burned all the books, took, they literally ripped God out of the nation. There was, it was a godless nation because they wanted the, the, the dependency to, instead of to be onto God, it'd yep. be to like the nation, yep. into the state. And you couldn't have, you could have a dream in your heart possibly, but you couldn't do anything about the dream. Like, like you go out. They removed all power from the people. All power. From, the money was not in your hands. The money was in the state's hands because yep. you were too stupid to know what to do with it. Yep. And you know, like you go out each summer and, and not only for yourself, but even maybe more importantly, like you go train like the next generation of people like, yo, you can like change your life in sales, dude. Here's what it looks like. You know, they, then that's like just opportunity. Like yeah. you have this huge opportunity for people to change their life. That's they, there was, they ripped out opportunity. Yeah. And in 1991, the, the, the wall fell communism. So for 70 years, like you think, how old were your grandparents when they died? Like 70 years for most people is basically a generation. Yeah. A whole generation. It's a whole generation of people, no dreams for a generation. Listen, dude, I go over there and you could see the hope in their eyes. Cause like they had opportunity now though for some of the ones that they, they took it really serious. They were like, they were like, they were, they didn't, they didn't uh, neglect it. They didn't, they weren't lazy with opportunity. Yeah. So I tell people here, you not only have the right to have opportunity here, you have the responsibility to pursue your dreams because you like, don't, don't get lazy with this stuff. Don't get too casual with dreams and goals and like vision and like, man, I'm going to go create something. The other thing I'd share with you is if you look at this comes from all the great uh, uh, kind of religions or thoughts of the world. So from a Judeo Christian perspective, the very first wor- uh, line of the Bible, the very first line, they literally open it up and it says in yeah. the beginning, God did what to the heavens and the earth. And it says he created. So like of all of the words God could use to introduce himself, he chooses create. I'm a creator. Just so you know who I am. What's up? Nice to meet you. I'm a creator. Steve jobs uh, studied Buddhism and Steve jobs has that famous quote where he says the day that you realize that everything that you see that that you call life was, was built by people no smarter than you. Another way to say it is they was created by people no smarter than you. Mm-hmm. He says, once you realize that you really realize you can build your own things. Yeah. And then they have in Dubai, this is more from like a Muslim, a Muslim bin, but in the, they have uh, what's called the museum of the future. And it's, uh, it's this crazy, awesome uh, structure, but it's written in Aramaic. There's these words around it in Aramaic. And they say, we may not live for thousands of years, but the products of our creation will. And it says you can, in essence, it says you can go create your own future. You can, you know, the future belongs yeah. to those that, that, uh, that plan it, design it and execute it. Yep. The point is this, 
you're here not just to react to all the distractions. You're here to like intentionally create your life. And so you are born to create stuff and to be a creator and to live with intention and to say, I'm going to go make a life that I look back later. And it's a life that I personally uh, created with my own vision versus yep. just like fit into somebody else. And if you're not, if you're not building your own vision, you'll, you'll somehow fit in as a cog to someone else's bigger vision. Exactly. And so I, for me, I have a lot of energy on this subject of like the fact that you get to dream, the fact that you get to breathe economic opportunity and political freedom is not just your right. It's your responsibility to go chase that stuff down. Yeah. That's dude. That's, that's so good. And like anybody who kind of halfway listened to that, that driving in their car that like that was just playing in the background, just go rewind five, five minutes and just go re-listen to that. Like, I think if you just hear that, that's everybody needs to hear that. Right. Especially everybody out here in my direct circle of influence, then just outside of it, anywhere in, in the U S like, seriously, you have, you have, I would say the blessing of opportunity. And now, like you just said, you have the responsibility, responsibility. To, go, to, to go live life by design, not by default. That's exactly like, right. Listen, dude, it, this, just because you breathe it and your granddad breathe breath, breathe that air and your great grandma did. And that air doesn't stay forever. Like there's nations don't like the empires don't last forever. Yeah. Like the way you preserve the opportunity is by pursuing the opportunity, like yeah. making something of your life. So I have a question for you, like on that, on that topic and this don't want to go get political or anything like that with it, but like, have you noticed? So, so you said like one of your, one of your driving forces or one of your reasons now is to go and help the future leaders go and see life the way that it should be seen. Right. And for me, it's terrifying seeing, cause I work with a lot of young people and younger than me and I'm really young obviously as well. And I'm surrounded by young people and this next generation of people. And it's a super common trend to be extremely ungrateful for what we have and almost like, like, again, I, for me personally, like I I've come from very unopportune situations and I I feel like I've gone and and I'm doing my best to go and live my life by design, not by default. And it, nothing bothers me more or makes me like immediately lose respect for someone when they, they can't go and show gratitude for what we have. Obviously what we have is not perfect within the country, within the state you live in, within the company you're at, whatever it may be. It's obviously not perfect, but it is so much better. And I think all that comes down to is perspective, like just looking at it the right way, right? Would you say you're noticing more and more commonly with the younger generations that's becoming a trend? Or am I just realizing it now because I'm looking at it from a place of like, dang, like my perspective now is I'm so grateful for the life that I have. I'm so grateful I was born where I was with the opportunities I have. Do you think that's becoming a more common trend to go and look at things. Do you, do you know what I'm asking? Yeah. I, I do. I think what's happening for the the next generation is there's, there's ideologies or philosophies being taught down where um, it's better to be a victim and it's better to, because it, it, it's like the, I, my victimness. And by the way, I'm not even saying that they're not in some cases, like they were victim. They were a victim of a situation. Yeah. But like they own that as like, that's the reason why Mm. I am where I am. Mm. So listen, your reasons are interesting because there's always reasons to quit and there's always reasons to keep going. And the reasons you choose will define you. So there's always things you look at. You don't see the world as the world as you see the world as you are. So uh, Wayne Dyer says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah. Like you see the rose, I see the thorn. Yeah. Looking at the same thing. Yep. But you focused on the rose. I focus on thorn. Uh, University of Pennsylvania did a study, 22 year study, 350,000 people spent millions of dollars on it. And they said that over time, a thinking pattern began to emerge. 
that they said was predictive of success. Wouldn't you want to know if there was a thinking pattern that we could like start to think about that was predictive of success? Absolutely. They said what it was, was optimism. Optimism was the thinking pattern that began to emerge with all the successful people. Like they could like study the thinking pattern. They were all optimistic. They were positive most of the time. They looked for the rose most of the time. Yeah. They, it rained outside and they were somehow grateful for the moisture versus being ticked off that it was raining. Like yep. the, the father has two sons. The father's in on drugs in and out of prison. The one son's in and out of prison on drugs, blames the father. The other son's never touched drugs, lives a great life, never had any trouble with the law, blames the father. Exactly. The father didn't change. They just chose to look at things differently. Yeah. That study also said that there was two characteristics of, of optimist, optimistic people. The first one they said is they had unrealistic expectations that they were going to be successful. <laughs> I, I I think the way they word that, that to me is like such an academic way of wording it. Cause they studied him for 22 years. So I can imagine this academic person being like, like they talk to someone like you, you're like, I'm going to go do this, 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 this with my life. I'm gonna go create this life. They're like unrealistic. Yeah. The second thing is they said that the optimist tried new things until they succeeded. So in other words, I just like they, this goes back to like the mindset, right? Like that didn't work. I didn't go over the wall. I'll go around it to the right. That doesn't work. I'll yep. go around it to the left. I'll go, I'll go under it. Yep. It doesn't work. I'll freaking just go through it. Like I'll find the weakest spot and I'll go. Pr- That's just like what exactly. optimistic people do is go figure stuff out. You yep. know? And so that's, that's, it's, that's the mindset. Like I look at this next generation. I'm like, don't own the, your victimhood is your, is your identity. Yeah. Your identity is like this personal ownership. Like I'm going to own my life. I'm going to create my life. And I'm not going to like fall into this thing of like, like, I would be successful, except this happened. I would be this, yep. but that happened and yep. blame it. And let that be the reason of why you did it. Cause there's always reasons to quit, always reasons to keep going. And the reasons that you choose will define you. I love that. And like at the very beginning of that, I think something really important you did to show like you're, you're obviously not ignorant, like in no way, shape or form. Cause like people have been victims of situations, right. But they don't let that go and define them. Right. And then, I mean, you just dropped like seven nuggets throughout that. But another really cool one that I haven't heard in a very, very long time is people can have reasons and how they like how you choose to use those reasons that that's what defines you. Like you can choose your reasons to quit or choose your reasons to keep going. And like a one liner that's huge within, within my group specifically, because in, in my career I was terrible. And like, when you talk about going around the wall, through the wall, over wall, that was me. Like I was awful. And I thought I was doing everything I could, but we, a very, very common, like one liner that's just so ingrained in me is you just cannot beat someone who doesn't quit. Even if you start out a hundred yards ahead of me, yeah. if I don't stop, you're going to stop eventually. And I, if I genuinely don't stop, it's like, it's Will Smith. He, if he gets on a treadmill with you, he's going to either die or last longer than you. And yep. like, that's, that's one of my favorite. Think of it this way, bro. The word until will guarantee your success. The word until will guarantee your success. The second trait that they found about optimistic people was that they, they've tried new things until they became successful. So Augmentino wrote the book called The Greatest Sales in the World. There are these ancient scrolls. And the third one says, I will persist until I succeed, right? So think of it this way. If, if I had a quarter and I, let's just say we did a math, like a, 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 a an equation, right? I, here's, the, here's the deal. I'm going to flip the quarter and catch it and land 10 heads in a row. What are the odds I can land 10 heads in a row? Very close to zero. Okay. I'll say that. Zero, 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 something, right? It's very close to zero. Someone might say 50, 50, because their head's still, yeah, but remember 10 heads in a row, right? You're like, freak, maybe not. Maybe it's one out of 10. Maybe it's, to your point, point something. Yep. Do you want to know what the odds are? 100% for sure guaranteed. Why? Because I didn't limit how many times you can flip the quarter. 
you can flip the quarter until you land the 10 heads in a row. Mm. So what are the odds you're going to land them? Well, they're hundred percent. It might take four years, but it'll happen. That's exactly right. That's, that's gold. I've never, ever, ever hold that, heard that, that that's gold. I love that. Yeah. So how many doors can you knock on? Like, are you limited? Like, did you get 20 doors? Make sure they're freaking good. 20 doors. No, you can knock doors until you like talk to the people you're looking to talk to. Like, you can, you can, how many like presentations can you give? How many times can you like go through the cycle of like resolving the concern? Like you can do it until you figure, figure it out. Exactly. The point I'm making is we create our own limitations. Uh, so interesting. You probably heard this study. I, I didn't know the second part of this study until recently. You've heard the study on fleas. If you put fleas in a little jar, a flea can jump four feet up in the air. Mm-hmm. But if you put them in a little jar and put a, a lid on it, after three hours, the fleas will jump to the, to the, to the top of the lid. Mm-hmm. So they can jump 48 inches straight out anytime they want, but they'll jump only to the top of the lid after three hours. They've been become conditioned to play small. So you take that lid off take and they're the still off, not going to go. They'll still only go to the top of the lid. Here's the second thing though. When the fleas reproduce and have babies, guess how high the baby fleas jump? Same height. Same height. They, they model what they've seen. So we've been conditioned to play small and we've been conditioned like we're only, you know, like I can only flip. So I tried 10 times. Didn't work for me. It's yeah. Like, Dude, you could try 5,000 times. Yep. Like you could try 5 million times. Like you flip it until you hit it. Yeah. That's gold, man. I love that. I've never, ever heard that analogy. I love that. Um, dude, time flies by. I want to be super respectful of your time. I appreciate you coming out. Very last thing to kind of close it out. And we've been touching on it the entire time, which is it shows that I think we're looking for the right people to come on here. So the name of the show is today's the day, right? And the reason behind that and kind of very, very quick summary of that is it's, it's, Early on, I think I was, I was, I know I was really lucky to have certain people that taught me to look at life in a certain way. And that way was like, today is literally all you've got. Like whether you are like, and you opened up with this actually, whether you are bagging groceries or whether you are selling the the DVDs or the, you were probably selling the VHS. The VHS huh? That's day, yeah. so sick. The VHS is at the mall, whether you're, you're starting your business, whether you're working a nine to five, whether you're a stay at home mom, like today's all you've got at the end of the day, genuinely for all, you know, for all I know, and in and, and every situation. And we try and specifically bring people on who model that perspective. Cause what that is, it's a, it's a perspective. It's a way of looking at life yeah. who model that in there every day. If you're to have one advice on how to go and implement that perspective, cause a lot of people, the reason everyone isn't an Elon Musk and everyone isn't one of these visionaries or even what you touched on earlier as well, an entrepreneur that goes and makes the business become what it is because they stick with it and they build it, even though they didn't come up with the idea. The reason everyone's not that is because they kind of go through the motions and they're on autopilot or they look at it as though we have an infinite amount of these days and these hours and everything like that. What would you say if you were to have a piece of advice for someone to go and help them implement that way of looking at life as like, Hey, this is all you've got. Go make the most out of it. Go live by design. What's something you can do that goes and puts you in that perspective, that way of looking at it. It's just three words, three simple words. It's be the one, be the one, be the one that lives a life, be the one that writes a story that like future generations of kids that are yet unborn, know your story. Be is a present word. It's not become the one. It's not like, dude, if you work hard 10 years from now, You'll become it. No, no, it's you be it today. So if you take your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, 12 generations up, that's 4,094 people. It's 4,094 stories, 4,094 triumphs, 4,094 trials, 4,094 losses, 4,094 wins, 4,094 tears, 4,094 celebrations that from all over the world over the last 400 years that were all came together from all over the world to create you. And this is the only day you get is today. 
uh, Marcus Aurelius was the, the last, the fifth and the last great Roman emperor. And he said, memento mori was his, 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 he, he carried a little coin. Yep. It basically means meditate on mortality. It just, rem- it, 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 it means remember you're going to die. Yeah. So be the one today. Here's the point. All of that 4,094 came together to create you. You already are the one. You're the one. So if you're the one, you want to go be that one today, go be the one today. What would the one show up like today? Like what kind of passion would they live with today? Like what kind of fire intensity drive dreams? How would they like, they'd get, when give their kids a side hug, they give them like a 30 second hug. They like, they tell their spouse, they love them. They'd go, they'd tell the people they work with like, yo, let's go make this thing happen today. If we're going to be going doing this, let's go do it. And let's do it with intensity and focus and let's serve the customers at a high level. Like go be that one today. And then if you love get it tomorrow, Go do it be again. the one tomorrow, you know. Go do it again. No, dude, Justin, again, so many nuggets. I appreciate you big time. Um, and then and then thank you. Just thank you. That's all I can really say. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching. Until next time, much love. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Um, as always, it was a blast for me. I hope you got something out of this. If you got something out of this video of value, share this with a friend and please go show your love. We're on all streaming platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. Any ratings, comments, likes, shares, they go a very long way, and they make it so I can keep doing these things for you, and I would appreciate it greatly. So please go share with a friend. Until next time.